It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Welcome back, everybody. It's so good to have you here. Something that uh, I kind of um, was thinking about and... That is that a lot of people uh, seem to struggle with the idea that problems are somehow inherently bad. Now, granted, none of us really want problems, but the reality is is that problems make us better. The reality is is that happiness is not the absence of problems. In fact, it's the reverse. If you want to become a better person, you become a better problem solver. If you look at some of the most iconic people out there, the Elon Musks, the Henry Fords, uh, you name some of these iconic people, your, your favorite president, all of these people have one thing in common, and that is they are problem solvers. So think about that, and also think about this. The profit is in the problems. That's what entrepreneurs do. They solve problems, and they get remunerated for solving those problems. Something as simple as a fast food restaurant, Ray Kroc, the guy behind McDonald's, solved problems for millions of people who wanted a fast burger. All right? So so think about that. The, the profit's in the problem, or the fulfillment is in the problem solving, right? All right, enough of that. Speaking of solving problems, today on the show, we're being joined by Francis Jackson. Francis Jackson is an attorney who specializes in solving problems for those seeking veterans' disability benefits as well as Social Security disability benefits. He's a founding partner of Jackson McNichol. He has been featured everywhere on NBC, CBS, ABC, and Fox network affiliates around the country. He most recently appeared as a guest of Ben Glass on the Consumer Advocate Show discussing benefits for veterans and Social Security disability benefits and how his practice allows him to make a difference in the lives of people facing disability. He has also been quoted in USA Today. He's listed in Cambridge Who's Who. Mr. Jackson was honored by the National Academy Award, I'm sorry, the National Academy of Best-Selling Authors with a Quilly Award in September of 2012. He was also inducted in 2017 into America's Most Trusted Lawyers for his outstanding work in disability law. For more information, visit VeteransBenefits.com. Francis Jackson, welcome back. Thanks, Bert. It's always a pleasure to be here with you. You know what? It's uh, it's uh, the same I, as as I always say. You know the the kind of work that you guys do is so important. Uh, you solve a lot of problems for our brave men and women. And again, the public simply does not understand the fight the struggle that our veterans deal with. And so I'm grateful for 
your team there at veteransbenefits.com. And I want to jump right into this and ask you, uh, you know, we've, we've heard a lot of uh, stuff about uh, employment these days. Um, you know, there, there's this massive, uh, what do you call it, the great resignation. Uh, anyway, bottom line, there's a lot tied into unemployment as well as employment. And I wanted to ask you um, that uh, I wanted to ask you specifically about how our veterans are doing. And, and I remember just now that back in 2020, uh, you know, it was unemployment for veterans was up. It was actually pretty high. And so just starting off with that, how is that improved? Has it gotten worse? Give me your take on it. Oh, it's certainly improved, Bert. Um, the uh, the latest figures are, are very impressive. Um, overall, uh, the uh, the figures are are very good. Um, the current uh, rate of uh, unemployment among uh, veterans who are looking for jobs is. Uh, down to 2.4%, which is uh, really good. Uh, it's the first time it's been under 3% uh, since the pandemic began. And, you know, it's, um, it's, it's interesting how it plays over the different groups. The, the veterans from the Iraq and Afghanistan era, which is about 43% of the veterans in the workforce, um, saw their unemployment rate drop from 5.2% in January down to 3% in March, so very, very rapid drop. And veterans from the first Gulf era who make up about another 28% of the veteran workforce um, got their unemployment rate down to 1.4%, which is amazing, as you can can figure out. You compare that with the, you know, compare that with the national numbers. Uh, in March 21, the unemployment rate was 6%. In February of this year, it was down to 3.8%, and in March it fell to 36 but that's still significantly higher than the rate for veterans. So, you know, good stuff there. And, you know, this is slightly off our topic, but I, I had the, op- the option, the opportunity um, last week to uh, attend the uh, Court of Veterans' Appeals Fifteenth uh, annual uh, semi-annual conference, and the lead speaker was Senator Tammy Duckworth from Illinois, who has just overcome a, a, an amazing host of problems. This is a gal who was flying a helicopter, got shot down, lost both legs, lost most of the use of her right arm, and now she's uh, uh, in the in the U.S. Senate, which is quite an amazing trip from being in Walter Reed uh, on your on your back with uh, your legs gone you know pretty pretty amazing uh, uh example of your comments about uh, opportunities and problem solving she's she solved a huge number of problems and and uh, uh the the benefit is uh, where she is now right well and and this is something uh since you brought her up this is something that we need more of uh, not not that we need more uh individuals uh to go through this uh trial type of situation but 
we need more people who understand what the veterans are going through. So I'm grateful that she's in our corner or in their corner uh, because there's so many people, and you correct me if I'm wrong, there's so many people that are making these decisions about veterans who have never been in the service. That's true, Bert. That is true. All right, so going back to this unemployment, or in this case, the employment rates of veterans, is the government doing anything particular for the veterans? Well, they're doing several things, Bert. In the uh, in the big infrastructure act, the uh, Investment and Jobs Act, the one that uh, is slated to cost 1.2 trillion, they they set aside a bunch of money for entrepreneurship training for uh, for veterans and uh, uh, for uh, some minority groups as well. But one of the things that I think is a really interesting initiative. They've set up an entire task force um, to get veterans who are separating from the service or have already separated into roles as truck drivers. Um, and they've they've uh, they've built you know they're they're trying to to match up as you know one of the one of the infrastructure problems we have currently is a is a shortage of truck drivers and. One of the things that veterans need when they're leaving the service are jobs, and they're trying to to uh, to marry those two things. And uh, President Biden had an interesting comment. I thought he said, uh, you know, if you can handle a tank or handle an armored personnel carrier, you can sure as heck handle one of these suckers pointing to uh, the, uh, the big semis that were parked out there, which I, I thought was a pretty reasonable comment, but interesting. Um, but the uh, the other the other thing that or the the thing that they're they're doing they've they've uh, set up this 90 day trucking apprenticeship challenge and it's led to the creation of uh, trucking apprenticeships in uh, several different industry associations and more than 100 private companies including uh, some that some that I'm sure all of your heard all of your listeners have heard of. Frito-Lay, UPS, Domino's, um, and it has uh, led to a doubling, literally doubling, of the number of commercial driver's licenses issued between 21 and 2022. So it looks like it's working, and it's, uh, you know, I think it's a a very interesting and innovative uh, kind of idea, and I'm I'm hoping that... uh, the government will continue to come up with good ideas for veterans. No, absolutely. This is an example of the kind of things that government does really well. Uh, you know, the, I think, in, in my opinion, this is probably the number one uh, thing that the government can do for its citizens, and that is to help find and or create jobs. And so I love what they're doing. I think this is a fantastic job. And I do like that comment because really, if you can handle a a tank or you can handle any of those massive military machines, yeah, uh, driving uh, an 18-wheeler is probably small in comparison. Seems like it to me. Sure. And you're probably not being shot at. (laughs) 
definite bonus there. <laughs> All right. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about the VA cutting back its program to support caregivers uh, for the seriously disabled vets. Uh, any information on this? Because this seems this seems like a poor decision. So, any updates? Yeah. What's been going on, Bert? Um, originally, they set up a fairly limited caregiver program for uh, veterans who are seriously disabled. And this was primarily um, for post-9-11 veterans who uh, were admitted into this program originally before uh, October of 2020 when they started expanding it to include older veterans, uh, including Vietnam era. And what the VA did after they expanded the program was they set up new eligibility guidelines, and then they went back and started reviewing all of the folks who were currently getting uh, these caregiver benefits. And in the process, they basically were bouncing people off the program at a pretty rapid rate. Um, about 90% of the ones that they reviewed, they said, oh, you don't, uh, you, don't, you don't make it under the new guidelines. And not surprisingly, that... Uh, caused quite a bit of consternation uh, in the veteran community for folks who needed caregiver help. And so uh, there's been a lot of, uh, well, uh, advocacy, shall we say. And the result has been that um, the the VA decided that they would halt any more um, removals from the program until they could uh, revise the eligibility and look at it across the entire spectrum. So the good news is they've uh, they stopped uh, taking people off. The bad news is that they'd already taken a lot of people off, and they're continuing to do these eligibility uh, evaluations, even though they're not implementing them. And so it's it's uh, it's unclear. Um, what is ultimately uh, going to be done, um, you know, and the 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 change in in tack here is is pretty amazing because uh, for a long time uh, the the VA was saying that it was absolutely necessary for them to take these people off and make the uh, the standards uh, for who was eligible, uniform, and so on. Um, and now it seems that uh, the the folks put in place by the current administration have decided that maybe that's not such a good idea, and they've, they've brought uh, brought these uh, dismissals to a halt, at least. What, what's going to happen in the longer term is still kind of up in the air, but at least the uh, folks are, are not currently being taken off the program, which is in and of itself a big step forward. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it sounds like the people that were taken off, they're still off, right? They, they can't, I guess, reapply or whatever, right? No, no, uh, they can reapply. The, the issue is that because the, the VA has restructured the whole um, eligibility determination, it's unclear what will happen if folks reapply. 
So it, it's gotcha. really you know, kind, of, kind of up in the air at this point. But but yes, they can reapply, and I'm, I, I think it's reasonably certain that some of them will. There was a, sure, uh, sure. Was a, sorry, go ahead. No, that was it. Go ahead. I just wanted to say there was a there was a big lawsuit uh, recently that uh, went up to the Federal Circuit Court of Appeals in D.C. over uh, the uh, eligibility criteria and the, the changed eligibility criteria, and the court um, turned down most of the uh, the attacks on the on the new eligibility criteria. They they uh, they, they agreed that there was one. Um, Small piece of the uh, new regulations that that didn't uh, meet the, the requirements, didn't match up to the underlying statute, and so on. But but mostly they they uh, allowed the VA to to uh, to go forward with the new criteria. So it's it's uh, it's just you know the, the the jury is out, as we lawyers like to say, about uh, where that's all going. Right. Right. Um, you know, which makes me want to ask if, if by chance with all this activity, is there any legislation pending about the caregiver program? Yes, Bert. Uh, actually, there is. Um, the uh, senior Republican on the Veterans Affairs Committee, Senator Moran from uh, Kansas, has introduced a bill um, and you know they, they now everybody that introduces a bill in Congress has to have a fancy title for it. So this one's called <laughs> Respect. Uh, you Ooh, know, uh, I like it. Reminds us of the old Diana Ross uh, song. But uh, this one, <laughs> this one's an acronym for Reinforcing Enhanced Support Through Promoting Equity for Caregivers Today. Uh, to make that wow. come out to respect. How's that for a mouthful? Yeah. Uh, but uh, there, there is a bill pending, and uh, Senator Moran's bill has uh, some very interesting um, provisions in it. For one, it would require that the VA include um, neurological and psychological uh, assessments in the uh, in the evaluation process, and that um, potentially may significantly impact the eligibility. And there's a there's a, a particularly interesting provision. I, I'm I can't remember if you and I have talked about it, but one of the things that makes the uh, eligibility process for veterans benefits more veteran friendly than a lot of uh, federal government eligibility provisions is that it imposes on the VA what is called a duty to assist, meaning that the VA has to actually help people in some limited ways when they're applying for veterans' benefits. And the proposed legislation by Senator Moran would impose a, a similar duty to assist with uh, eligibility for the caregiver program. Um, require the VA to make a good faith effort to help the veteran get any supporting documents that existed within the VA or within other federal agencies and uh, would even uh, include a, a waiver of uh, assessment for eligibility 
in circumstances where the veteran's uh, injury is due to a chronic or degenerative condition and there's a high likelihood that the need for services would not diminish over time. So there's some interesting provisions in the bill. Um, where it ultimately goes, who knows? As, as you know, uh, when things get into the political realm, uh, many unusual things can happen. So there's no, there's no real predicting where this is going to go. But it would not surprise me to see that uh, some version of this, uh, of this bill makes it through the House and Senate. You know, my, my crystal yeah. ball is broken. I can't, I can't tell you whether it will, but yeah. it, it seems like it's like Yeah. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and again, I, I think uh, you're spot on. You never know what, you're, what to expect. Uh, you know, I think that uh, what's the old saying uh, or, or the Forrest Gump saying, life is like a box of chocolates. Well, you know, uh, the the – Government is like a box of chocolates, or the, the the senators and the Congress people are like a box of chocolates. You just never know what you're going to get or what to expect. That's for sure. But I, I do think this bill has a has a uh, a chance of of uh, has a reasonable chance of passing in, in some form. I don't know if it will come through exactly as it's drafted, but I I, I think you know there's enough interest here that uh, it's likely that. Uh, this is this is going to pass in some form. Yeah. No. Let's hope. Let's hope. Um, and the, the reason why I think this bill is so important is simply because the VA cannot take care of all its veterans. They they need caregivers to to come and help. And and if especially you know when you when you talk about this duty to assist, it seems like a no brainer that some form of this bill uh, should help, I mean, should should pass. It seems that way to me, too, Bert, but I, I have to tell you I've had some uh, some serious surprises about the future of legislation sometimes, so who knows? But, <laughs> That's but, uh, absolutely I, I right. Think, thank you. I, I do think this one's got a shot. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, listen, speaking of stuff that you and I have talked about in the past, I know that Several times you and I have talked about, not only on the show, but even off the show, we've talked about PTSD, uh, and I just, you know, this is something that's always uh, in the news. There's always, uh, at least once a month, you hear something about PTSD. Is the VA trying anything new to help those suffering from PTSD? Yes, actually, Bert, they're they're trying out a pilot program, and, you know, we, we were talking a minute ago about uh, titles for uh, for bills. Well, this this pilot program was mandated under the PAWS Act, the Puppies Assisted Assisting Wounded Service Members for Veterans Therapy Act. Um, wow. Okay. That's that's another mouthful for you. But but the <laughs> one provision of of that act called for the VA to set up uh, a pilot program to. Um, have therapy dogs assist um, veterans with PTSD, and that's uh, uh, as, as they like to say in the movies, coming soon to uh, one near you. And they've they've 
they've uh, implemented this uh, pilot program at five locations, um, the VA in Anchorage, Alaska, uh, the one in Asheville, North Carolina, the one in Palo Alto, California, the one in San Antonio, Texas, and the one in West Palm Beach in Florida. So um, those five sites have been chosen for the, for the pilot program. And the way it works is uh, veterans in the program will help to train potential future service dogs and will also participate in um, a socialization program for both dogs and, and veterans. And after the uh, eight-week training program, veterans that qualify will have the option of adopting the dog that they've participated in training. So oh, it's, cool. uh, yeah, it, it it is cool. Um, it's expensive. Um, they're talking about roughly $30 million for this pilot program at a cost of uh, about $27,000 per dog with everything from training to vet care to, uh, you know, ongoing supplies and so on. But um, it's uh, it's going to be free to the veterans who are participating. And the, the reason that this bill made it through Congress in the first place, I think, is that there's some, there's some very interesting research that essentially says that one of the biggest problems that veterans with PTSD have is that they don't trust anybody, uh, often to the point of being almost to the edge of paranoia. And so uh, one of the things that, interestingly enough, uh, helps with that is coming to uh, to train and, you know, have a bond with uh, dogs. And th there's also a, uh, there are a couple of private programs that do this with horses and have had very, very uh, good results as well. But uh, something about uh, learning to uh, to trust the dog to do uh, to do things seems to help with actually being able to more easily trust people, which is a a big a big issue in in most uh, folks who have PTSD. You know, it, I mean, if if you if you start out with anyone that you meet thinking uh, they're going to try to do something bad to you and you can't trust them. It's difficult to build very good friendships or relationships, so you can you can see the problem. But this uh, the research suggests that um, this really helps. So I'm I'm hopeful that these pilot programs uh, will not only prove out the concept on a on a broader uh, level, but will persuade the VA to uh, make it a a standard therapy program across the the entire VA, despite the uh, the significant cost. So we'll see. I mean, you, 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 as we talked about earlier, you never know what the future is going to bring. But I, I think this is a very, uh, very promising uh, program, and I'm, I'm hoping it will uh, pan out in practice. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and, and it's one of those things, look, $30 million does sound like a lot, but the way I look at it is it's it's – it's a lot less money than than what it would cost if these people don't get help. Because as you said, they, they are, there's already this thing where they don't trust people. 
Uh, I believe, and I could be wrong, that uh, I think paranoia is also becomes part of the PTSD, uh, uh, what do you call it, issue. Uh, you know, some of these individuals who suffer from PTSD can't hold down a job, which so now they're, they're they have to be on some form of welfare. Uh, you know, sometimes the the cost to their family is is uh, not only financial and emotional. Uh, and, and the reality is our government will spend $30 million on uh, a lot of goofy stuff. So $30 million or even $100 million to help our veterans overcome PTSD, to me, doesn't sound that bad. I, I, I agree with you 100%, Bert. I'm, I'm hopeful that the price tag will not put the VA off from uh, making this a broader program. Absolutely. Uh, Francis, we're out of time. As always, I want to thank you so much for stopping by. And for those who are listening, let's share this program with everyone we know. If you have questions, check out VeteransBenefits.com. Francis, again, thank you so much for taking care of our veterans and looking forward to have you back again soon. My pleasure, Bert. Looking forward to it myself. All righty. Good stuff there from lawyer Francis Jackson. Please, let's share this episode with everyone we know. Let's help as many people as possible. Even if they're not struggling right now, it doesn't help. It doesn't hurt them to know about VeteransBenefits.com. Remember, you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch. And check out our website at MoneyForLunch.com.